The 75th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. Black holding high, goes to Darty. Darty and the double team, gives it back to Black with 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Rebounded by Weber. Michigan out of timeout. Weber, front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. Ed Corbett says he can run the baseline, hands him the ball. Brown gets it into Williams. Here comes Williams front court. Williams on the drive, gets it back out to him. Long outside shot, short rebounded. May, it's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72, and how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. Matthews off the mark, and this year the confetti is going to fall for North Carolina. They're not going to be denied this time. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony, coming from you, bunkered down at our jobs. We've stayed over the weekend so we could be on the air on Monday on Sports Radio FNZ here in Charlotte. So we are in our little recording studio beside the bathroom. You may hear a toilet flush or two. You may hear a guy throw up or two. But what? Yeah. You got you to right. describe everything that could happen in the bathroom. No, you really don't. But all right. But we, what, what we do got to get into today, this morning, Carolina looking good last night. They blow past Georgia Tech 88-65 to in the Smith Center. In the process, improving to 12 and four overall, four and one in league play, and Armando Baycott with another sensational performance, 29 points, tying his career high he set last week against Virginia, and 12 rebounds. It was the seventh straight double double for Armando. That's the second longest streak since John Henson recorded nine in a row during the 2010. 2011 season. He also became the first Tar Heel since Tyler Hansborough back in 2007-2008 to score 29 points or more in back-to-back games. The best part about Armando's performance last night, I thought, was he got 29 points in 29 minutes. Against Virginia, it was 29 points in 38 minutes, not taken away from that performance. But that just shows you the level that he's playing at right now an efficient Armando Baycott, 10 of 16 from the field, 9 of 9 from the foul. And that was a really big number for him last night. But overall, you could argue that we thought the Virginia performance last week was the best performance we've seen from Carolina. You could argue this was the best performance for the Tar Heels because they built the lead early, they sustained it into the second half. And these are the types of wins that, frankly, this team needs. They've got to be able to take care of lesser opponents the way they the way they did last night, which is when you realize you can take take over the game, take over the game. And I thought they did so on both ends, and they got a, a, a really nice win last night in the Smith Center. Yeah, you can make the argument for sure that this was their most complete game of the season because I think that this team that they faced in this game is better than that Boston College team that they faced. But, yeah, from the word go, this team was was ready out of the gate. 
And I, I told you when we were previewing the game that they this this team has been unlike some Carolina teams in the past. They are really good off of long layoffs. I don't know why, but there was good energy pretty much the entire night on both ends of the floor. And yeah, they fed their leader, Armando Baycott. And like you said, you know, 29 and 29 minutes, you're seeing a guy that can score the ball at volume and score it efficiently as well. So he is really, I said it to you yesterday when we were watching the game, his his growth just in season is pretty remarkable. Um, I, you know, I think his the, the better performance overall is Virginia because he had 21 rebounds on the glass. This one, only 12. But you can see that he has been working on finishing better at the rim. Mm-hmm. He, you know, has has worked on his free throw shooting because he was 9-9 nine nine in this game. Yep. So there's a lot of elements of his game that, while they were good, they could be taken to another level, and he's seeming to do that right now. And now I think it brings up the conversation, which we haven't really talked about on here yet, but I think it's legitimate. He's got to be the front runner for ACC Player of the Year, right? Yeah. These three, these last three games, that his case is is too good right now to not be in the lead. Yeah, I think. Yeah, we're gonna get into that a little bit later in today's show, actually, um, because I do think that is that's that's not an argument, that's a discussion that's worth having, mm-hmm. and we're gonna dive into that in a little bit. Let's take a look at the box score from last night. Carolina shot forty eight percent from the field, thirty of sixty three. Georgia Tech shot forty six percent. 27 of 59. Carolina, 9 of 25 from behind the three-point line, so below that 40% clip they've been shooting at all season. But they held Georgia Tech to just 3 of 14 shooting from behind the, uh, behind the arc. From the foul line, Carolina, another good night at the stripe, 19 of 29, led by Armando Baycott going 9 of 9. Georgia Tech just 8 of 14. Carolina did commit 13 turnovers. And Georgia Tech got 14 points off of those turnovers, but Carolina forced 11 turnovers, so above their season average, and scored 15 points off of those mis- uh, off of those miscues. Uh, total rebounds, Carolina. Armando Baycott led with 12. Dawson Garcia back from concussion, came off the bench, four points, 11 rebounds. They out rebounded Georgia Tech 42 to 26, including 11 to four on the offensive glass. Those 11 points or those 11, those 11 offensive rebounds. They turn those into 15-second chance points. So you look at some of the years where Carolina hasn't been as great as they've been in years past. Points off of turnovers, they got 15. Then they got 15-second chance points. Those are 30 points right there. And that that helps you on a night where you don't shoot the ball deep from three. You're generating easy offense in the open court, which is something that as well as this offense has played, that's still one area that they haven't been overly great at, mainly because they're not forcing turnovers at the rate that you'd like them to, and they haven't been a dominant offensive rebounding team because of the way that they've changed how they use their bigs. Bench points, Georgia Tech's bench did outscore Carolina's bench 28-11. to Points in the paint, though Carolina 38-26. Fast break points, Georgia Tech 8-4. to Both teams had one block. Georgia Tech 9 steals, Carolina 3 steals. But the Tar Heels, 20 assists on 30 made baskets. Georgia Tech, just 10 assists on 27 made baskets. Let's move on to our quote of the game, which is Schubert Davis talking about Leaky Black's defense performance after last night's game. 
He's been unbelievable. You know, one of the things that that I've said before, and I'm going to continue to say, there's nobody in this conference that is a better individual defender than Leaky Black. He should be the defensive player of the year. We're going to get into those comments a little bit later in the show as well. Let's get to our stat of the game. You said you wanted to go with the assist, and I think that was the right move. 20 assists on 30 made baskets, so roughly 65, 70% of, the, of, of their offense was assisted on. And Georgia Tech, though, just 20, just 10 assists on 27 made baskets. When Carolina moves the ball the way they moved the ball last night, and there was a multiple guys with assists, R.J. Davis with six, Caleb Love with three, Leaky Black with four, Brady Manick with four. It makes Carolina harder to defend, whether especially in the half court. And I thought I thought their offense was the looked as good as you could expect it to look, having not played in a week. Because um, I wasn't I didn't I didn't see eighty eight points coming out last night. I told you if they get to seventy five they win, but I didn't think they were going to score. That's the most they've scored since at Boston College three weeks ago, and they hadn't played in a week. So. I really think that's that that's a number that Hubert Davis has to be able to show in the in in the post games is when we share the ball, look at what our offense does. We we take it to another level. We're a really good offense, but when we share the ball, we're a great offense. Yeah, I mean, early in the game, I think it was it was a little scary because there were a couple of shots early on where, you know, they weren't moving the ball quite the way that you wanted for sure, which again I think is an extremely high standard. I, I don't, I don't think so. Ah, it is, it is. But there were definitely some moments where, I mean, e- even though they were knocking down some of the shots, RJ and Caleb Love were taking some long outside shots that weren't necessary because you were not getting the ball inside. Eventually, they settled in. And yeah, they started moving the ball as well as as they have. And we've talked about you know that the importance of that first half of the year just were you know from where we're at this in the season right now wasn't really there, especially since they've gotten into conference play. The ball movement has simply been tremendous. Mm-hmm. They have been sharing the ball about outside as, of Notre Dame about as well as they have since probably 2018. And that was one of the big issues the last two years was that they just weren't able to share the basketball without turning it over. And he had 13 turnovers in this game. It's not great. But at the same time, to have 20 to 13 in the assist-to-turnover ratio, you'll you'll take that. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're moving the ball around as, as well as they have as a team in a while. But I think the credit not only needs to be given to the guards, the bigs have been moving the ball extremely well as well. Well, they've gotten a lot better at handling double teams and stuff like that because that was something that early in the year we still struggled with was passing out of a double team, working out of a double team. I still want to see our guards, if our double team, or or if anybody gets double teamed, we got to start going to the ball. Sometimes we just fray away. We make it harder to make a pass out of a double team, especially when they get trapped in that corner. But I, but I, I do think that's the biggest thing is that having these guards on the perimeter with their ability to pass. And last year it wasn't that they didn't have the ability to pass; it was just that they were both put down. Everyone was put down on the block. So you were passing back outside. You can put Brady Manick or Armando Baycott or even Garcia at the key and pass the ball inside, and and 
get a good play out of it. So that's a really big key. There was a pass R.J. Davis made last time. That might be the best pass he's made in his entire career, which he threw it over the defender, over Brady Manick, in a way where Brady had to turn to catch the ball, but when he turned, he was in scoring position. And that's something that... You That's the second time this year that they that the team has made that pass. I think it was Caleb made that pass to Armando earlier. I think it was an at a conference game. Maybe it was App State. But last year that that pass is not made. Last year the types of passes in certain situations were just horrendous. Well, the thing that and most people don't even pay attention to this. A lot of when you pass the ball and then the ball is eventually scored, the ball was scored because of where the ball was passed to. Mm-hmm. If you pass the ball to where the guy is in natural scoring position, then it it's, makes it easier. Like if, if you've got a post player back down, you should throw the ball to the right side of his shoulder so he can just naturally turn and shoot. If you throw it to his left shoulder, now he's got to reposition, regather, the defender can get back in stance, and now all of a sudden it's harder to get a bucket. And those are the little things, the, the the little minute things that you don't really pay attention to or we haven't had to pay attention to in our entire lifetime watching Carolina because it's never really been a big been a big problem the last couple of years. But then when it shows up and you can just see that this team can't pass the ball you the way you want them to, it's why Carolina has struggled outside of their you know not being able to shoot the ball well the last couple of years. They weren't putting their guys in the best position to score. That's not happening this year under Hubert Davis. So that's been a really big key as well. We're going to take a quick break, play you this week's ad from DraftKings. Then we're going to come back, get back into some takeaways from last night's game and a general discussion topic or two before we get out of this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. The NFL playoffs are here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is kicking off things with a huge offer. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can get a 56-1 to 1 odds on any wildcard team to win their game, bet just $5, and win 280 in free bets if your team is victorious. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you still have something to play for this wildcard weekend. Everyone can play for huge cast prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy co- Football Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars and total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TBPN. That stands for the Basketball Podcast Network and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code TBPN. This wild card weekend at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager is required. One per customer. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hinted at it earlier. We were going to talk about Armando Baycott being a candidate for the ACC Player of the Year. And look... There, there's a lot that goes into that. Usually, what whoever wins the ACC, usually the best player on that team gets that award, and and usually that makes a whole lot of sense. But Armando Baycott is just being simply dominant right now, um, on a team that, or, or, I think we knew he was capable of doing this, but we hadn't seen this. And as, as you mentioned, it was in season. It's kind of like what happened with Garrison Brooks two years ago. Where it was just like the 
The except, light switch. Except this team's actually winning. They're winning. Unfortunately for Garrison, that did not happen. It was like it's like this, the the light switch turned on, and it was like, oh, I have the ability to take over games. I'm going to take over games. 29 points in back-to-back games. 20-point double-doubles in three straight games. Paula Bancaro is the most talented player in the conference. No one's going to argue that. We're Tar Heel fans. We hate Duke. He's the most gifted player in the conference. Duke's the best team in the conference. But Armando Baycott to today, and look, we got a long way to go. And those two players are going to meet, they're going to see each other twice. And whoever probably gets the best of them will probably determine who gets the award at the end of the season. But you can't argue that he's having a better year than him. And what Alondis Williams is doing at Wake Forest is spectacular. And he's a big part of why Steve Forbes has Wake Forest back in a lot of different ways. That team's 14-4. and four. They're putting together a resume to make a to, to make the NCAA tournament. But it's still not doing what Armando Baycott's doing. He And now look, you could say he's getting help from Brady Manick. He has Dawson Garcia. And Carolina looks different when Caleb Love is engaged. He's still Carolina's best player. And when he plays at this level, the way he is right now, dominating on both ends of the court, Carolina's a Carolina's a completely different team. And I think that's what the war comes back to is that the best player in the conference. I don't think right now you can argue there's no there's no one playing basketball better than Armando Baycott. I don't think so, especially in the last three. And again, it just depends. This is the age-old discussion of what does the league MVP, what does the conference player of the year, what what does that actually mean? Does that mean the guy who's most valuable to his team? Does that mean the guy who just plays best for the best team in the league? Um... I mean, look, Bancaro's numbers are good. He's averaging half a point more per game than Baycott, and Armando is dominating on the glass compared to him. Armando this year has 11.2 rebounds per game. Bancaro currently has 7.4. Now, I, I get it. He He's a different player. He plays a little more away from the basket, and he can do things a, a little bit differently on the offensive end than Armando can. He can shoot the three a little bit better than Armando mm-hmm. can. But, yeah, I think right now you're talking about Armando Baycott potentially being able to lead this team from, I mean, let's let's be honest, after they lost that Notre Dame game, uh, they were probably, they were getting close. I wouldn't say they were on the bubble, but they were a, ten, a, a 9 or 10 seed. There's a chance that he could lead this team back into contention to potentially win the ACC. And you've got to take that into account. That since that loss, and even in that loss, he he turned it up. I, I think he realized in the middle of that game, hey, we've got to... I've got to step my game up. Because... That's how we're going to win games. So I, you, you got to give him a lot of credit. And these last three games, I think, are, are are really revealing. And people around the country need to be taking notice about how special this stretch has been from him. I mean, he's this is now three straight games where he has had at least twenty or more points and at least twelve or more rebounds. Mm-hmm. You, the the other guy that we've seen doing that constantly throughout the year. 
is getting talked about every single night whenever a college basketball game is on in Oscar Toshibwe. Yep. He's in that area. Maybe not as strong of a defender, but I think he's a better overall scorer than him. Yes, that's not that's not that's so, really a question. How is he not in that conversation with him? How is at this point, how is he not in the conversation for player of the year in all of college basketball? Well, I think he should be in that conversation. Well, if if as long as he keeps it up and Carolina keeps winning at the level at the rate they're winning now, which, you know, they're on pace to probably win 23-24 games, that conversation will be had. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just something that uh, the the best part about it is all summer we talked about how we were going to change the way we wanted to play, getting more out of the guards, and we're getting more out of Caleb Love. We're getting more out of R.J. Davis, the guy we're going to talk about here in just a second. This game comes down to when you put the ball inside more often than not, you're going to win. And when and Carolina has learned this year, as well as her shooting the three point shot, their best offense. And that's where you got to give a lot of credit to Hubert Davis. Their best offense is through number five, and they and sometimes they get a little they get a little happy shooting the three. They got happy last night, but they get refocused. They reset what they want to do. They put the ball inside. They get good results. Let's talk about R.J. Davis's game last night: twenty-one points, eight of eleven from the field, four of six from behind the arc, five rebounds. Six assists. He scored 23 against Georgia Tech the first time they met in December. The 21 points last night, a game after where last week against Virginia, he was 0 of 10 from the field. His only points came from the foul line. And he made shots last night that I didn't know he was capable of making. He made Caleb Love-type tough threes where he got isolated on a defender, deep behind the three-point line, took the shot, made the shot. Made Roy Williams proud because Roy always said – if you're going to take the shot, you got to be tough enough to make the shot. R.J. Davis was tough last night. But as much as we love the offense, and the offense is a really big key, it's the other little things that he did, the five rebounds and those six assists. He's done that a couple times this year, and we haven't praised him enough for that because we look at the scoring column and say, ah, he didn't shoot the ball better, and we need him to shoot the ball better. But he's becoming a complete guard. He's becoming what you what you saw Joel Berry become throughout his career, a guy that even when his shot wasn't falling could get could get to the glass, was still running your offense, still competing at a high level. Leaky Black's the team's best defender, but I don't think anybody plays harder defensively than R.J. Davis. That kid fights. Mm-hmm. And I thought last night I was just really happy for him to have that type of game because he was really frustrated with himself after Virginia because he had some he had some shots that were makeable that he missed. But I really thought last night, the way he impacted the game in multiple ways outside of scoring, that's what shows a, a, a player maturing, a player taking that next level. Because anyone can dominate the game in, 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 in one way, whether it's scoring, rebounding, or assisting. You want to become a good basketball player, a complete basketball player like myself, you do it in all three levels. And he's done it twice now against Georgia Tech. Yep. Two of his best games of the season have come against them. I mean, he had 21 Five and six in this game. He had twenty three, five and five in the other game. So those are games. You coming with the stats today? Those are games where you needed him to shoot well from the outside. And the first game, if you remember, in that first game, you know he played well from the beginning, but the outside shots really started falling in the second half when they needed them to start falling. 
That was pretty. That that was when most of the shots for that team started falling from the outside in that first in that first matchup. In this game, it was from the word go, and he had a couple of tough shots early on in the game where we were like, late in the shot clock, he's having to throw something up. This is not what we're hoping for, and he was strong enough to make it. And the other thing you're starting to see here, you know that that game against Virginia. Definitely not the game that he wanted to have, but you're going to have some of those nights. This is now five out of the last six that he scored in double digits. Mm -hmm. So, again, we're looking for more consistency from him. That's been the thing that we've talked about the most with him this year, and you're starting to see that now. And for me, I think it's honestly just amazing to look back to what he was as a shooter last year where – you mentioned it a couple of times. The form is not the problem. No, it's not. It's just not going down. Mm-hmm. Now, He's more confident. you're starting to see these shots going down. His game is starting to pick up. And, yeah, I, I mean, you're seeing a guy that, once again, last night, had a couple of those moments where strategically runs the floor to get a basket, can still drive the lane, and as is as aggressive as anybody on the team. And, you know, sometimes that hurts him. But this, this is you're, – you're seeing – Speaking of guys that are growing as the season goes along, R.J. Davis is one of those guys, and it really doesn't come as much of a shock to us because we thought with this new system in place, it's going to work wonders for him, and it's now starting to pay off. Yeah. You heard from Hubert Davis a little bit earlier in the show talking about Leaky Black being the best individual defender in the ACC, and I do think as much as there is to talk about Armando Baycott being the ACC Player of the Year, you can make the argument that Leaky Black's the best defender in the ACC. Drew the assignment on Michael DeVoe last night, who entered the game leading the Georgia Tech in scoring at 20.5 points per game. DeVoe scored two points on one and five shooting, um, had four rebounds, no assists, and six turnovers. Leaky Black harassed him, and Carolina as a team harassed him. But Leaky's defense, and the thing that stinks about it with Leaky is that because he's not an offensive player, and last night two points, one of three from the field, we focus mainly on his defense. So mm-hmm. whenever he gets beaten, he's the guy that we get the most frustrated at of all the other guys on the court because his value is being a defender. But I do think with his new role, or his much more defined role finally this year, I suppose his first three years, where he can just focus on taking away the team's best defender or the team's best scorer, most nights he has done that. You couldn't say that against Notre Dame because you weren't going to match him up with uh, with uh, Nate, and that was fine. And the way Carolina switched everything, it, it was it was a team issue that night, not just a leaky black issue. But he's getting into that form where you can put him on the best player. Like this week, you got Miami, you got Colton Wong, you've got Isaiah 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 Wong, you've got Wake Forest Saturday, Alondis Williams. Yep, you can put Leaky Black on those two guys, and you're confident that he can take them both out of the game. I mean, this is a guy that, in coming into the first matchup between these two teams, was the top scorer in the nation. Yep, and both times, I mean, look, the first game, he still did some damage against Carolina. This game, he did nothing, and you know, to create, I mean, honestly, you created more turnovers from him than he had shots attempted in the game. So you took the confidence out of their best player. And that was the reason why in the first game, that game was close. 
went on a 19-2 to run at one point, did Georgia Tech in that game. Mm-hmm. This game, the fact that you took him away that early and pretty much neutralized him made it tougher because, as, as we said coming in, they really have two scores. Now, Jordan Usher had a solid night, 22 points on 9-16, but if they don't have DeVoe playing at the level that he is capable of on the offensive end, they are not going to be able to stay in games. Carolina did that by, I mean, just a great job by by him, you know, by Leakey to take him away. Um, but again, I think it was just a whole, the whole unit, I think, looked really, really good. You know, and that's what's so frustrating about the Kentuckys and the Notre Dames is now we're starting to see this team string together a couple of great defensive performances after another. Well, it's nine nine straight games that Carolina has won. They fell the opponent to 65 points or less. Longest streak since 2010-11. So, I mean, yeah, you're seeing that they have the capability to do this. They have the capability to shut down some of the best scores in the country. It's just it disappears at times. In this game, though, it didn't. You saw the effort all around, and you can see that this is a team that now realizes, look, we've got the offensive talent, but we've got to bring it every single night defensively. And the other thing, because we saw it, especially early on, Georgia Tech was trying to screen a lot. Carolina, they... The team, along with mainly the coaching staff and Hubert Davis, realized that, look, we cannot switch the way that we did against Notre Dame ever again. It's not going to work. So you're seeing guys fighting under screens. And sometimes, you know, there were a couple times last night where you saw guys get beat to a spot but recover to take away the dribble drive. It's all about effort. And that's, that's what was missing at times early in the year, where if they got beat, that was it. You're not going to try to hustle to get back in position. Your teammates behind you aren't really going to be able to help you out either because, well, it's not their fault. But now you're starting to see people realize, look, we've got the we've we've got the right guys to get this done. We've just got to be able to give that effort the entire game, and we're going to find a way to be able to dominate some of these games that you're supposed to dominate. Carolina also worked back in Dawson Garcia and Kerwin Walton. Dawson, of course, coming off the concussion. Four points, 0-4 from the field. But grabbed 11 rebounds in 20 minutes. Kerwin Walton, two points, one of three from the field in 17 minutes. They got some good run. Nice to work them back into the mix. It would be interesting to see if, if, if Hubert Davis keeps Brady Manick in the starting lineup as he works Dawson Garcia back. I ultimately think the best lineup is having Dawson Garcia back in that starting lineup to have Brady Mannix firepower scoring-wise coming off the bench with Kerwin Walton. Puff Johnson made his season debut, got three minutes, nothing in the stat sheet, which brings us to the freshman. This game was over the under-12 timeout in the second half. Done. We didn't see the freshman until... Five, six minutes left in the game. And if you guys listened to my interview with Kiara Luck, I, I questioned her about the rotation. And I said, you can't you can't tell me otherwise that them not playing in November and December didn't help them in that game at Notre Dame. Had though had those guys been on the court and played meaningful minutes, 
even if it was a blowout, but they were just getting meaningful action where you're running your offense through those two guys, you can't tell me that they would have been better prepared for that moment at Notre Dame where you're without players because of COVID. And it's not like that's going away. You're going to, you were, last night, no Anthony Harris. We don't know why as of right now. Mm-hmm. But so you, that, that's going to be a possibility for the rest of the year. And I just don't get the hesitancy when the game was that over to put these guys on the floor. Because you've already seen it once. You need them to make shots. You need them to make plays. They're capable of doing it, but they haven't been asked to do it enough to be confident and have the consistency enough to do so. That's an area where you need Brad Frederick or Jeff Lebo, one of those assistants to lean in his lean in his head and say, put him in the game. Those guys need to play. Definitely. There's no excuse that they don't play when the game is that over. If it was a 10 or 15-point margin, I get it. You were up by 30. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. There was one point in the game where you were up by 30 and all five of your starters were still in the game. Like That, that did not make like at that any point, sense to me. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not risking injury. You've got a stretch where you've got five games in 11 days. Their legs are going to get heavy. So, I mean, look, no one played more than 29 minutes last night. But they could have played less minutes. Yeah, well, and and here's the thing: there's only two freshmen on the team. We're not talking about a whole class of guys, a whole lineup that has to get into the game. So I understand why you probably wanted to keep Kerwin Walton out there. Yeah, to try to get him in a little bit of a rhythm. Him, him and Dawson make sense. You got to get them back in the flow of the game. Right, but you can you can throw you can have him in the backcourt with Dunn and Styles. I would and, think and, so, and, and that works fine. So, yeah, I, I, I was with you. I didn't really – I said it multiple times late in that game. Why are we not seeing these dudes in there? Because the more experience that they can get, the better. I understand that the ACC as a whole is down this year. Boston College, Georgia Tech, these are some of the easier games that you're going to play in ACC play. And you've, you've had them in spots where you, you are blowing them out. Mm-hmm. You should have been seeing more of these guys. If you were up by 30 and you put the freshman in and they blew the game that badly, then you've got bigger issues. I mean, yeah, that that would be that's a coaching issue then. But the other thing is is look, if you put them in and let's say Georgia Tech goes on like an 11-0 run in 2 minutes. You can call timeout, put Put your starters back in. Yep. It's not it's not that difficult. So I didn't really get that. I didn't think there was much risk to putting them in the game at that point. I thought it was more reward. But yeah, that that one that's the only thing that really frustrated me in this game. Because this was an opportunity to see them, an opportunity, you know, apparently to see Puff Johnson. Mm-hmm. And we haven't really seen a whole lot of them. You got to kind of figure out: is that a guy that you're going to be able to fit in somewhere on your roster moving forward? You know, so the only guy that played substantial minutes that I thought it was good that played substantial minutes was Justin McCoy because I feel like he's going to be a part of what you do going forward. Yep. But for some reason, he was the only guy that did that in this game. Yeah. So it's just something that. Uh... Hubert Davis is sticking, and look, it's all about practice and all that, and I get that. 
But if I'm up 30, I'm not risking the chance of injury, and I'm trying to get my guys, guys that you're going to need to be produ- be contributors next year in a, in a, in a much larger capacity than this year, I'm trying to get those guys as much experience as I can in a blowout ACC game when given the opportunity. That is going to wrap up this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. Before we let you go, I do want to get you to the website, HeelToughBlog.com. Had you covered all things Georgia Tech, go back, read the recap, I go a little bit more in depth on Carolina's win over the Yellow Jackets. I'll be getting you ready for Miami a little bit later in the week. As for the football side of things, Carolina has a new defensive coordinator, a new defensive backs coach, another player in the transfer portal. Anything's keeping you up to date on all the great football stuff, getting you ready for the upcoming NFL draft as certain Tar Heels are participating in certain bowl events now that their college careers have commenced. So get over to the website, HeelToughBlog.com, for all of our football and basketball coverage. As for the podcast side of things, you know where to find us. We're on the Basketball Podcasting Network. We host through Megaphone. But you can find us on iTunes, Art Radio, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts. You name it, the Four Corners Podcast is there. Give it a like. Give it a review, but hit that subscribe button. That way you get every great podcast right there in your podcast library. Well, this is going to wrap up this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. I do want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. The Four Corners Podcast is a proud member of the Basketball Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at HoopsPodNet or visit our website, www.thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com to find the best basketball podcast.